0: This morning, uh, Psalm chapter 19, uh, why don't we just uh, read this Psalm this morning? Uh, And you'll be happy I didn't say Psalm 119 today, but uh, Psalm 19. And uh, Psalm 19 is almost like a a condensed version of Psalm 119 is is kind of interesting how, how it's arranged this way. But it says in verse 1 that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, and there are, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world." In them, in this creational speech, God has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Father, as we just focus in on these words this this morning, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts, enlighten our eyes, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us this morning. Lord, help us, like the psalmist, to treasure your word above anything and everything else, to treasure your word above above entertainment, to treasure your word above, as was said this morning, comfort, comfort to treasure your word even over wealth and riches. Lord, let us see, as we spend time just a few moments today, let us see in your word the true wealth and riches of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, for us to know God, for us to know anything about God, he must reveal himself. To us, to know God is, is only because if we know anything about God, it's because he has shown it to us. He has revealed it to us. His self-disclosure, his self-revelation. We cannot know God or anything about God apart from his own revelation to us. This is the way the world works. Even in, in uh, human relationships, even in... In earthly uh, relationships and friendships, if, if I want to know somebody who is greater than me, they must invite me into that relationship. The, the superior must always extend the, the invitation to the lesser. This is just the way of relationships. I, I cannot here decide, I want to be best friends with the King of England. I don't get to decide that. If I'm going to be best friends with the king of England, it is because he has invited me into that relationship. This is the way relationships work. The superior, on on the order of hierarchy, the superior must extend the invitation to the lesser. This is just the way of the world. But this is also the way with God. For us to know God or anything about him is because he must invite us into that relationship. And God has revealed himself to humanity because he wants us to be in relationship with him. Because God wants us to know him, and to know him is to love him. He invites us, he extends that invitation by revealing himself to us. Jesus even says that to know God is to have eternal life itself. And so in this passage, we see three ways or or three types of God's revelation. We see firstly God's word in creation. We see God's word secondly in the book, the written word of God. And then he concludes by talking about the effect that God's word has in our hearts. So briefly this morning, God's word in creation, God's word in the book, and God's word in our hearts. The first verse begins by saying that God reveals himself in creation, God's word in creation, that the heavens themselves, the creation itself, declare, speak forth, proclaim, shout the glory of the Creator God, that the sky above proclaims His handiwork. We can know a lot about God by studying the world that He made, by studying the universe that He made. There are things that we can learn, that we can discern about the Creator. We can observe God's almighty power. All of this came from somewhere. It didn't come from nothing it came from some powerful being so we could see God's almighty power. We can see God's genius on display. His, his intellect, his superior intellect, his thoughts that are above our thoughts, his ways that are above our ways. We, we could see God's, God as the source of all life. We, we know, even by studying creation, that life does not spring forth from death. That dead things do not produce life. Rocks don't produce life. Dirt doesn't produce life. The, the rocks, they don't reproduce themselves. If you put two little rocks together and you know, leave them by themselves, you come back in a thousand years, guess what you're gonna see? Two rocks. <laughs> I don't care what kind of music you play. I don't care what kind of lighting you do. I don't care what kind of pills you give them. Like, there is no way that those two rocks are going to reproduce, are going to produce life. Life doesn't spring forth from things that are not living. And so as we see around us everywhere, life, 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 it tells us that there is a living being that is the source of all life. This is just studying creation. We could see that the the creator is precise in his creation, that that he is detail-oriented, even down to to atomic particles. And guess what? There's something smaller. There's now subatomic. We've learned about, about even precision at the most infinitesimal, beyond even natural eyes ability to see that God is very precise, that he is detail-oriented, that he even cares about the small things. We see that God is creative. Just look around this room. We see the, the handiwork of God on display. Different shapes, different sizes, different colors, different cultures. The creativity of God. Even you study the different animal species and you you can see the creativity of God in the chihuahua. Hey. Yoquero Taco Bell, you remember that? The, the chihuahua, all, all the way to the Great Dane and everything in between. You go to the, the zoo and you see the giraffe. What in the world? What was, what was going on? What was God thinking? I think I'll make a horse and brrr. Okay, the alligator. Let's just take a lizard and you know just kind of stretch out. Let's give it a bunch of teeth in there. All the the creativity of God, the beauty of God, that God is is someone who who appreciates beautiful things. That that. It, it talks about here that day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. That not a day goes by that God doesn't paint the whole sky as his canvas with this beautiful picture. Never, never once copying and pasting from one day to the next. He, he never runs out of, of beauty to put on display, creativity to put on display. And he did it even for the night owls who can't get up early enough to see the sunrise. So they put the sunset there for them and, and for the, the early risers. He he put the sunrise to, to display his glory, his beauty, his majesty, himself in creation two times every single day. We see the consistency of God. Every day the sun rises. Every day it rises in the east and every day the sun sets and every day it sets in the west. Every day. The consistency of God. God promises that until, uh, until basically the end of time, as long as there is time, as long as the earth remains, God says there's going to be seed time and harvest. There's going to be seasons. Now I know here in Texas we only have two seasons. We have summer And then we have summer light. Those are our two seasons here in Texas. I I tell you, I promise you, you can go to other places in the world. They actually have four seasons, spring, summer, winter, and fall. It's really amazing. But but the the promise of God, the the consistency of God, that there's a time to plant and there's a time to water. And then there's a harvest that comes. There's harvest time. God promises that those will remain. God is consistent. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't have to wake up tomorrow morning and wonder, does God love me today? Will God be faithful to me today? We sang that song this morning. All my life you have been faithful. Every single day of your life, God has been faithful to you. Every single day of your life, God has been good to you because that is who he is. He is consistent. We see that consistency on display in creation. But then he transitions from from talking about the sun and the light that it gives and the the heat that it produces. And we know all about that here in South Texas, the, the heat of the sun. But then he begins to talk about a light that shines brighter than the sun. Shifting from God's word in creation to God's word written in the book, God's word written down, God's written word, the the word of God in the Bible, in scripture. He begins to talk about that light that shines. And so the sun shines in sort of a general way. But the word of God, the written word is like taking the, the general revelation of God and then focusing it like a laser. That's the word of God. The the written word. And there are are things we can learn about God from creation, but there are certain things that we can only know from the written word of God. We cannot know who God truly is in his person and in his character apart from his self-disclosure in his written word. And he does this. He, He wrote it down for us. Because his desire, again, is that we would know him. God doesn't want to be hidden from us. God wants us to know him, to love him, to be in fellowship with him. And so in this passage in verses 7 through 11, the psalmist uses five different words to describe the written word of God. And again, we, we could spend so much time on each one of these this morning. I just want to draw your attention first to them. The first he uses is the law of God. And when the Bible talks about the law of God, it's really talking, that's shorthand for the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the law of God. The testimony of God, that's, that's speaking of and talking about the, the works of God with humanity, God's dealing with humanity So as we can look and say God was faithful to Abraham and God was faithful to Isaac and God was faithful to Jacob and God was faithful to lead his people out of Egypt and God was faithful to send his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And likewise, I can tell you in ways that God has been faithful to my family and to to, to our church, we can speak of the testimonies of God. He he goes on to talk about not only the law and the testimony, but the the precepts of God. That's the ways of God, the the way that God works, the way that God thinks, the way that God acts, his His precepts, his ways, and that we as his image bearers are called to walk in his ways, to, to follow his precepts. We have his commandments, which are, are his instructions on this is what you are to do and this is what you are not to do." And then again, he, he uses another word for commandments, and that is rules, God's rules. So these five words used for the written law of written word of God, the law, his testimony, his precepts, his commandments, and his rules. And about these five Words, he he describes five truths about the written word of God. He says the written word of God is, number one, perfect. God's word is perfect. It's without error. It's without flaw. Why? Well, because God is perfect. Because God is perfect, his word is perfect. God's Word is perfect. You know, we live and we we see this all around us. We live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world. Our world is broken because humanity has fallen. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so everything in this life is imperfect. Everything but one thing. Because the Word of God... does not originate with humanity. The word of God originates with God who is perfect. And so though in this world we experience imperfection, the the faults of the, the, the fallen world, and hardly a day goes by where I don't just remind myself, we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. That's just part of how I keep myself sane, right? When things don't go the way that they should go, we live in a fallen world but even in this fallen world i can lay hold of something that is not fallen that is not broken that is not tainted that is perfect and that is the word of god Amen. secondly because the word of god is perfect it's also sure sure i don't know if any of you are betting people if you like to play the spread or you know the kentucky derby or whatever you do i don't know i I'm not a betting person, but if I was a betting person, I would want to know what is a a sure result, something that is, that you can take it to the bank. God's word is that. God's word is sure. Jesus puts it this way. It is a solid foundation. It is like a rock that you can build your life upon. It is sure. It is tested. You can lean on it. You can place your trust in it, because not only is it perfect, but it is sure. Number three, he says it is right. Here comes a moral component, That, that there are things that are wrong in this life, and there are things that are right in this life, and God's word shows us what is right. God's word is right. It is correct. It is not imperfect and tainted with sin, but it is free of error and free of sin. It is right. Number four, God's word is pure, pure, undefiled. God is holy. God is other. God is separate. God is pure in all of his ways and all of his attributes. And therefore, his word is also pure. If you look at the front of this book, it doesn't just say Bible. It says holy Bible. It is God's pure Word untainted and undefiled by human error and transgression and sin. And number five, he says that God's word, that the written word is true and righteous all together. The truth. Jesus says that if you know the truth, that the truth will set you free. Amen. That by knowing the word of God, which is true, that you can walk in true freedom, and righteousness altogether. So those are the five words used to describe the written word and five truths about the written word. But not only does he give us those 10 things, he gives us five more things, which are the results of the written word. The first is that it, number one, revives the soul. Verse 7. The law of God, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Are you here this morning weary? Are you here this morning tired? Are you here this morning burdened with the cares of this life? You know, walking through life in a fallen world can become wearisome. We can become tired. We can become, even in doing good, the Bible says, if we become weary, not to become weary in doing good. We're tired, we're human beings, we're frail. But the Bible, the Word of God, it revives the soul. When I am weary, when I am weak, when I am tired, if I will go to the Word of God and begin to let his word wash over me, wash over my soul. It reminds me of what is true and what is false, what is right and what is wrong. It stirs in me the joy of salvation and it revives my soul. If you are weary today, if you are burdened today, what you need to do is open up the word of God as soon as possible. Number two, the word of God makes wise the simple, makes wise the simple. The simple here are, are talking about people who, they just ain't that smart, okay? They're just, they just don't have a lot of natural intelligence. You, on the, the, you know, the IQ test, they, they score like a purple on it. You know, they just, they just, they don't rank very high as far as intellectual prowess goes, the simple... The amazing thing about God's word is it can even take those who don't have a lot of maybe book knowledge and it can impart to them something even greater, which is wisdom, true wisdom. God's word will make you wise. Knowing God's word, studying God's word will make you wise. Wisdom is knowing what to do. That's wisdom. Wisdom is knowing what to do and what the right thing to do is. It's knowledge rightly applied. And so when you are in a situation, you've got something going on, when if you know what the right thing to do is, if you're going to know what the right thing to do is, that's called wisdom. And it only comes from one place. To apply knowledge in different situations and circumstances Wisdom only comes from God because wisdom has a moral component to it. Knowing what to do that is right, that is good, that is wholesome, that is righteous, that is pure, that is wisdom. Now, we live in a world today that that does not value wisdom, but rather values knowledge. So there's a multiplication of knowledge. There's a multiplication of information. But as that value of knowledge goes up, there's this inverse effect where true wisdom is lacking. Where common sense is now all of a sudden very uncommon. So that people who are very smart and very educated are now totally lost when it comes to even the very basics of life. What used to be thought of as the most basic reality of life, the birds and the bees, is now somehow so beyond even the grasp of the greatest minds and the greatest intellects. It's because they have rejected God and therefore become foolish. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And when you reject God, you take away the moral component, which is wisdom. And so now, yes, you can have a lot of knowledge, but you don't know what is right and wrong. Therefore, you don't know what to do with it. But the great news for all of us in here is it doesn't matter how smart you are. You can be very smart. You can be, you know, can't pass a test. Can't can't write your way out of a paper bag. But you can be wise. You can have God's wisdom. And wisdom always outweighs knowledge. Always. 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 Especially in a world that we live in where knowledge is free, where information is free. I can get on and Google anything about anything and have the answer in two seconds. But what do I do with that? That's why you need wisdom. Wisdom only comes from God. Wisdom has a moral component to it. And if you reject God's standards of right and wrong, you go to war with reality itself. That's what we see happening in our world today. Number three, God's word rejoices the heart. So it it revives the soul, it, it makes the simple wise, and it rejoices the heart. Are you sad today? Maybe you came in here today sad, burdened in your soul about the events of your life. Maybe you find yourself depressed, anxious, brokenhearted. Let me tell you where you need to go. You need to go to God's word. You need to get your face into the word of God. You need to read about our gracious Savior. You need to read and stir your heart about the sacrifice that he made to redeem your life. You need to remind yourself of who you were and who he is. And when you begin to do that, see if a well of joy does not begin to spring up in your soul. See if you don't just begin to sing the praises of your God and your creator and your redeemer. It is so hard to stay depressed when we think about him. If I think about me and oh, my poor life and woe is me and have what my grandma used to call a pity party. We'll get out my little violin and yeah, I can become depressed and I can become sad but not when I fix my eyes and my gaze upon Christ. Because no matter what I'm enduring and what I'm suffering, it pales in comparison to what he endured and suffered for me. When I see his wounds, when I I see that crown of thorns on his head, when, when I see his outstretched arms open in love towards me, I mean, my soul is just filled with joy, joy unspeakable. Yeah, if I focus in on me and, you know, my life, yeah, I can become pretty depressed. And 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 so we find it true with those who have everything in this life, quote, unquote. But they don't have him. But if you have him, you get into his word, and his word reminds you of him and, and his work of salvation. My grandma, Ruth Bell, she would... Oftentimes when people would call her depressed or, or sad or, you know, having a woe is me moment, they would, she would listen to them for about two seconds. And she would say, read 10 chapters in the Bible and call me back. And she would just hang up the phone. Because when you get your eyes on him, it changes everything. It rejoices the heart. Number four, it enlightens the eyes. It gives insight. It gives discernment. It shows us what is true and what is false. It, it helps us to see things rightly in the, in the light of God's revelation. We live in a world that is is bent, is broken, is skewed, is is. is is painting a, a picture is slanted in so many different ways. How do we know what is right and true? Well, we need God's word that enlightens our eyes, it shows us, it helps us to be discerning in the world that we live. And number five, it tells us that there is great reward for those who keep God's word. We see that in verse 11. In keeping them, there is great reward. Because of all of this, these 15 points that I've laid out for you this morning, God's word is worth more than gold. Look at that verse 10. More to be desired are they, God's written word, than gold, even much fine gold, and sweeter also than honey. You see, we live in a world today where we have unprecedented and unparalleled access to the word of God. God's Word, we can have it everywhere and anywhere. We can have it on our phone. We can have it in an app. We can have it in a book. We can have it on our screens. We can print it off from a printer. We can, we can tape it here, tape it there. We, we have it written on our coffee mugs. We have it on bumper stickers in the parking lot. I can see them right now. We, we have on our T-shirts, on our WJD bracelets. We have God's Word everywhere. And in a world where scarcity determines value, we we might be tempted to think that because God's word is so readily available to us that it's not that valuable. We need to not fall into that trap. But instead, what we need to recognize is the wealth of riches that we have. It's not that God's word is not valuable. It's that we have a wealth of riches and that God's word is worth more than even gold, and that we don't really realize how blessed we are. But then the issue turns from from God's word in creation to God's word written in the book to is God's word written in our hearts? Yes, we can have it here, we can have it in our apps, we can print it out, we can have posters and bumper stickers and T-shirts, that's all great. But if it's not written on the inside of our hearts, it's not going to transform our lives. And so in this final section, he he describes the results of submitting our lives to the word of God. In verse 12, he says, who can discern his errors? Number one, it makes us aware of our sin in our need for redemption. Our sin runs so deep in us that we have a hard time. We, we can justify so many things, can we not? But God's word is that perfect mirror. His word helps me discern the truth of, of my life, of my actions. It makes us aware of our sin. It helps us to discern our errors and our need for a redeemer. Number two, it reveals our dependence upon God for his help. Listen to the prayer he prays, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins and let them not have dominion over me. We need God's help. We need to look to God to help us, to save us, to keep us from sin. And finally, he concludes with this prayer, the prayer of the one who loves God's word in verse 14. May we all be able to pray this prayer together. And I know for certain that you KBI graduates today that this is your prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. The meditation of my heart the words of my mouth. There's only one way for the words of my mouth to be acceptable in God's sight, and that is for me to put his word in my heart. The Bible says that out of the abundance, the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if I want God's word to come out of my mouth, if I want what comes out of my mouth to be blessing and not cursing, I must put God's word in my heart. And to do this, I must meditate on his word, the meditation of my heart. We meditate on, we think on, we focus on so many different things, don't we? From the weather, to the stock market, to the news, to classified documents, to cowboy game, to, I mean, our meditations are everywhere. But if the words of our mouth are going to be pure Acceptable to God. The meditation of our heart must be on his word. His word needs to be what we focus on day and night. And so in conclusion this morning, I just want to remind you what the psalmist says here in verse 11. There is great reward in keeping the word of God. In obeying the word of God. There is great reward. But to keep it and obey it, we must hide it in our hearts. And to do that, we must know it. There are no shortcuts to knowing the word of God. We must put in the time, put in the work. And these graduates here today would all tell you that the rewards well outweigh the effort of studying God's Word and putting the time in. And so this morning, I just want to once again honor you graduates for your dedication and your devotion, not to KBI, but to God and His Word. Amen. And to all of us here today, whether we take KBI or not, and I hope that you do if you haven't, Let us likewise be devoted to God's word, devoted to putting it into practice, to studying it, to knowing it. And I promise you that you will see the reward, the good reward, the blessing of God in your life when you do.